because it's Mother's Day, I have to share a, a mom story of a moment that, we, parents, we all have these moments where we do something that was kind of less than stellar, that we might want to erase from the record books. So I'm going to share a story. Now, if you've been coming here for a while, you might have heard this story before, but you heard Chip's version, which I do not feel is 100% accurate. So now you're going to hear the actual accurate version. And I'm going to let you decide for yourselves. But I think you'll see that mine is correct. So a couple years ago, on our fam we took a family vacation to Dale Hollow Lake. It's in northern Tennessee. It's this huge, beautiful lake surrounded by rolling green hills and trees and lots and lots of cows. We always joke that there's more, more cows than there are people. So Dale Hollow Lake. And we had gotten there the night before, and we decided the next day we wanted to take a hike. We like to hike sometimes. So we wanted to go to Dale Hollow State Park and hike some trails through the woods. So we drove to the state park. It was probably about, I don't know, maybe 45 minute drive from where we were staying in our cabin. And we parked our car. And then it was about a mile walk to actually where the trails start in, inside of the woods. So we, we walked to, or we started walking to where the trail starts, that mile walk. And the last thing before the trail in the woods is a swing bridge. Now, if you know me, a little bit, you know that I have a very unrelenting fear of heights. So I'm looking at the swing bridge, and it's the last thing, it's the only way into the woods, and it's the only way out of the woods. Now, underneath the swing bridge, there's water, like a little inlet in the lake, and so there's people swimming, there's people on the, the hill to the side having picnics. I want to say maybe 20 or 30 people are underneath this bridge in this area. So. I need to get across the bridge if I want to go hiking with my family. Well, I didn't want to. So I was kind of willing to stay put and just let them go on ahead without me. But I also didn't want to miss the fun. So I stared at it for quite a long time. Chip and Ben and Rebecca went across the bridge and kind of trying to coax me, come on, you can do it. Well, you know, I'm inching, I'm inching my way up to it. But finally, my son, who's always looking out for his mom, he comes back across, and he says, Mom, come on, I will, I'll walk behind you. So I didn't want to let them down. So I did cross the bridge. I wouldn't call it walking. I'm going to give you a little demonstration. It was, I don't know what to call it. It was sort of like this. It was kind of like wobbly need. I'm going about as slow as a person can go, hunched over, step by step across the bridge until I finally get to the other side with Ben behind me. It wasn't pretty, but we made it. Okay, so, is that, did I picture it? Yeah, so you can see by the look on my face, I wasn't overly happy, but we made it. So we kind of caught our bearings for a minute, and then it was time to enter the woods. So they, they kind of went ahead of me. We maybe got 10 feet into the woods when Everybody stopped, and Ben turned around with a panicked look on his face. I said, what's the matter? He said, I'm getting stung. I didn't know what happened, but the, what we found out later was that we kicked up a yellow jacket's nest, which are in the ground. You can't normally see them. So somebody stepped on it or something, but we kicked it up, attacked by yellow jackets. Many, many, a swarm. 
So I did what any really fantastic parent would do. I ran. Just turned around and ran. Now, here's where the story splits off a little bit. Chip says, I ran away. I say, I led the family out to safety. I'm going to let you decide. But they followed me, so when you see Chip later, I want you to tell him that you know I'm correct. In all of this, I dropped my phone. We're all getting stung. I can feel, feel Yellow Jacket stinging me as I'm running across the bridge. And let me also classify that if we want to call it running, it was a similar thing to what I did on the way into the woods, only now it was just faster. So I'm just kind of like this. But the whole way, now this is a part I did not know, but my family told me this later. Apparently the whole way that I'm doing this, I'm also yelling and screaming. I, I don't remember the screaming part, but it's true, I guess. So, but what I do know is that as we're running, I feel Yellow Jacket singing me. I also see the people under the bridge looking at us, because I'm sure we're making a commotion. We get to the other side, and we're just, Chip and I are frantically trying to get yellow jackets off of the kids, and I think Becca and I came out with about three, which isn't too bad. Ben came out with about 17 or more, and he was hurting, and that was pretty rough. It was, it was a bad scene, but you know, in all those people that saw us, do you know how many people came to see if we needed help? One person. One person came over and helped us swat the yellow jackets away. And I don't know who it was, and we never saw them again, but I, I know that I appreciated that person. Now, the story goes on to other things. It involves a police car, and uh, that's, that's another sermon. But we all came out okay. I did the wrong thing, which was Google what you do when you get all those yellow jacket stings, and it said anything over 10, you need to go to the hospital. Well, there was no hospital. This was in the middle of nowhere. So I, we kept a close eye on Ben, but he was fine. Thank the Lord for that. But I wonder if this story with the one person that helped us, does it remind you of a Bible story where there was somebody in need who needed help and only one person stopped? It's kind of a familiar story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And we are going to look at that. Today we're going to be talking about talking about loving our neighbor and how sometimes that means going the extra mile and how to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother and how to love like Jesus loved. And we're going to take a look at a couple stories, but one, the first one we want to look at is the Good Samaritan story, and that is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So if you, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, Yesterday, if you were at the women's breakfast, Emmy Seymour was here, and she spoke, and she was amazing, and she said you could turn in your Bibles, or you could look at the Sky Bible, and I really like that Sky Bible, so I'm going to use that. I've got the Sky Bible on the screen, Luke chapter 10, and it says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So let's break this down a little bit. An expert in religious law asks him the question. They're always trying to trap Jesus in something, right? They're trying to catch him in something, and they never can. But he asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do to be saved? Jesus' answer is simple, pretty straightforward. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But the expert in religious law is looking for a loophole, isn't he? He says, well, just who is my neighbor? I think he wants to qualify that. It says to justify his own actions. He's trying to make excuses maybe for some lack of love for his neighbor. Looking for that loophole. Just who is my neighbor, he asks. So Jesus answers him in a parable. And there's a very interesting continuum of characters in this parable. We have a Jewish man who's just minding his own business, going about his day. We have a group of bandits out to cause harm, cause trouble. We have the priest who comes on the scene, sees it, but then crosses over to the other side of the street. We have a temple assistant who intentionally comes upon the scene, sees that there's something going on, so he comes over to see what it is, but then crosses back again. And, and I think he's one of those people that maybe just wanted to be in the know, wants to know what the gossip is or what the story is, but didn't really have any intention of helping. And then we have the Samaritan who had compassion on the man. Now, it says a despised Samaritan, in fact. There was a good deal of racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. They hated each other, and the Samaritans were very much looked down upon. At some point in our lives, it's quite possible that we've been every person in this story, everywhere on this continuum. Probably most of the time, just the unsuspecting Jewish man just going about your day minding your own business, but then maybe blindsided by somebody causing harm. 
maybe we're, we have been like the priest who just walks up on something, maybe unintentionally, but instead of being helpful, turns and goes the other way, doesn't want to get involved. Maybe we've been like the temple assistant who, I think we probably all know people like this too, who you just, you just got to be in the center of it. You got to see what's going on. You're not really intending to be helpful. I'm just going to see what's happening, but I'm going to go the other way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my hand to this. Maybe, but hopefully not too long or too often, maybe we've been like the group of bandits, maybe not physically causing harm, but maybe causing harm with our words. You know, I remember when we were kids, we always used to say, sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt me. But that's not true at all, is it? I read a book years ago. It's called All I, Needed to, all I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten by Robert Fulgham, and he says it this way, which I think is more correct. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. And I think sometimes we do more, more damage with our words than we might do physically. So possibly we've been like the group of ba uh, bandits causing damage with our words or our gossip, slander. But then there was the Samaritan, and, and hopefully we have opportunities to be like this. He did a series of things that day. First, he felt compassion. He felt compassion for the Jewish man that was pretty much left for dead. So he stopped. He came to him. He bandaged his wounds, put him on a donkey, took him to the inn, cared for him, paid for him to stay longer, and, and said, I'll come back and settle up the debt if, if need be. He put aside everything that he had on his plans unconcerned about the cost to his own wallet or his own time. He put it all aside, even the fact that he was despised. He let the, the, the bounds of racial tension go and took care of somebody that probably would have hated him. Whatever plans he had in that moment, he laid them aside to care for somebody that he did not even know. We all want friends like that, right? Who doesn't? But are we willing to be friends like that? Are we willing to be friends like that? Or do we look the other way and kind of hope somebody else will step up? Do we hope if we wait long enough, somebody will fill the spot, fill the void? Maybe we're afraid to get involved. Maybe the parameters are too great. Or... Occasionally, are we one of those people that gets involved just long enough to see what's going on and get the, the good inside scoop, but then we step out and don't actually help? Maybe we just feel like we're too busy with our own things. If we're looking for an excuse, we will always find one. That's the easy part. The harder part is stepping up and filling a need, even when there's a cost or a drain to our time or our resources. John 15, 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sometimes God asks us to do just that. Now, in America, we are pretty schedule-driven people. I think more so than a lot of other places in the world. We are scheduled. We keep track of our own schedules. Moms, are you keeping track of your kids' schedules? 
probably your spouse's schedules, but you know, we have games to get to, birthday parties to get our kids to, PTO meetings, all the things. Our schedules are full. But sometimes, sometimes God asks us to shelve that because he wants us to help somebody that he has put in our path for such a time as this. The Samaritan did that. He took a very sizable risk, especially being hated. He took a sizable risk, and he was not concerned about the drain to himself. Now, that religious expert was looking for a loophole. Who is my neighbor? I'm hoping it's not everybody is probably what he was thinking. But the answer was pretty clear. Your neighbor is everybody, including your enemies. No excuses. We have a tendency to look for loopholes. You know that day when the yellow jackets stung? One person stepped up and took care of their neighbor, who they didn't know, much like the Good Samaritan. One person. There's a passage in the Bible that I read sometimes that has quite an impact on me. It comes from the book of Job. And it's, it's just a couple sentences in a very big book. But I wanted to look at that today. So Job was a man that was called blameless. And in Job 1, it says that he was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. The Bible says he was the richest man in the land of Uz. He found great favor with God, and God protected him. He had a pretty great life. Things were going well for Job because he followed after God, and he had favor with God. But Satan was, was also watching, and he asked God for permission to test Job, to put Job to the test and see if Job would remain as faithful. Permission was granted, and a series of horrible things came at Job. All of Job's animals were stolen. Destruction came to his property and his family. He was afflicted with boils. It was just one horrible thing after the other until really the only thing he had left was his life. That was it. But through all that, Job remained faithful to God. He did not curse God. He did not turn his back on God. At the beginning of Job, when all these terrible things are happening to him, I love the response of Job's friends. And I want to take a look at that. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Job 2, 11 through 13. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Let those last couple sentences sink in for a minute. His friends sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights, and nobody said a word because they saw that his suffering was too great for words. They didn't speak. They sat. They stayed. 
Their presence was there. They were there for support. Those friends knew there was nothing adequate they could say in that moment. But they sat with him to be a source of comfort. And sometimes that is enough, isn't it? Sometimes we don't know what to say, but sometimes just being there is enough. We all want friends like that, right? Are we willing to be a friend like that? It might mean we have to give up some of our time, our schedules. How about this one? We're going to go back to Luke chapter 5. Jesus is teaching, and again, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law are there. They're always there trying to trip him up. And the crowds had to be great, fast crowds, because at this point, Jesus is ministering, he's teaching, he's healing. People are following him. In Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm going to stop there, and I don't want to negate the fact that his sins are forgiven. I don't want to overlook that because that is a big deal. But it did cause a commotion because that's not the answer they wanted. They wanted to hear he's healed, which Jesus did do. So he did two miraculous things right then. He healed the man, and his sins were forgiven. So the paralyzed man got up and was dancing and jumping and praising God. That's an incredible miracle. But what I want to look at in the story is the faith of this man's friends. Think about what they did. They carried him on a mat. They couldn't get close enough to Jesus, so they take the tiles. They climb up to the roof. They climb up to the roof and take the tiles off so they can lower him on a mat to the feet of Jesus. Can you picture that? Can you picture somebody taking the roof off your house? I mean, I can't imagine what people's faces must have been utter astonishment and amazement. That's how much they wanted to help their friend, and that's how much they believed that Jesus could do that. We all want friends like that, right? Well, I have friends like that. I have friends like that, and I hope that I am a friend like that, but I have friends that have carried me to the feet of Jesus when I'm not strong enough to get there on my own. Maybe not on a mat through a roof, but spiritually, emotionally, I have friends that have carried me to the feet of Jesus when I haven't been strong enough to get there on my own. And you know where the best place is to find friends like this? Life groups. Life groups. I belong to actually a couple groups. Chip and I have a group, and then uh, in April, we started a women's group. And this women's group has only met a few times, but I will tell you something. The camaraderie and the sisterhood 
that has developed in just a few weeks is unmatched. It's incredible. We text each other prayer requests, Bible verses, encouraging words. And I will tell you, it gets me through a, a long, hard day. Life groups are a great place to find those friends that will carry you to the feet of Jesus or sit with you when you're grieving. And we have a lot of groups here to choose from. We have men's groups, women's groups, community groups. We have a crochet group. We have a craft group. Maybe you have been feeling a tug to start a group. Maybe you have. And if you have, I want you to ask you to press into that and talk to Pastor Chip about it because there's always room for more life groups. And maybe this is your time. Find your tribe and hold them close to you. Find a group. And, and I would encourage you, if you feel like you want to be a part of that, we have people at our Next Step area that will help you find a great fit. Sometimes you need to check out a few till you find one that you really feel comfortable with, and everybody's okay with that. You can come in and out, but find a group, and we'll help you find one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 says, We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And I really like how the NIV, New International Version, says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. That is the definition of a life group to me, sharing life together with people that you love so much and sharing the word of God together. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. You're going to find that in a life group. You're going to find that in a church family too. I'll start bringing it home with this. We are going to be faced with Good Samaritan opportunities many times throughout our life. We have a choice. We can walk to it and be helpful. Or we can walk the other way, pretend like we didn't see it. We're going to have opportunities to sit with a grieving friend and maybe just sit, quietly sit and be support. We're going to have opportunities to help a struggling friend get back to the feet of Jesus. We're going to have God-ordained opportunities to follow these biblical examples of being a friend. We will probably have the choices over and over again throughout life. The rewards of being this kind of friend far outweigh the risks. But you know, there is a friend better than all these examples that we looked at, a friend who sticks closer than a brother always, a friend who will never leave us or forsake us, and a friend who carries our burdens, a friend who sees every tear that we cry and hears every prayer that we pray. And that friend is Jesus. Acts chapter 17 says, he is not far from any of us. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. 
Psalm 94, 18 and 19 says, I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. And then one more, Joshua 1, verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Bible is full of verses about the Lord being close to us all the time. Jesus always being right there. He's not going to be the one to cross to the other side of the street. He will be the one to walk to you and help you with whatever need you have. I want to encourage you today. If you are looking for that true, unconditional friend, and you feel like maybe you haven't found him yet, that friend that is Jesus, maybe today is the day for you to change that and invite him into your life. Maybe you feel like that person that was beaten up by the bandits, and you're just waiting for somebody to rescue you. I know where you can find that person, Jesus, and I believe you can also find some of the help here at, at this church, get plugged in with a church family. If you feel like God is calling you to be more of a good Samaritan in your relationships, maybe stepping out a little more, taking a few more risks, putting your own schedule aside, your own agenda aside, and being the good Samaritan friend or the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe God is challenging you today to make some changes in that, and maybe this is your day for that. Or maybe you feel like God's calling you to get involved with a life group or even to start a life group. Maybe this is your day for that. Let's get that taken care of today. Get plugged in. So with that, I wish, I'm going to say a Mother's Day prayer for the moms and then close us out. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can learn from you and from your word how to be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And God, for anybody here that's just looking for that opportunity to maybe step into that more, step into part of a life group, just ask that today's the day that you would speak to them about that, God, and we thank you for that. And I want to pray for all the moms and stepmoms and grandmas and anyone in the role of a mom, God. May your blessing just pour on them today. May they feel your peace, your presence. May they feel, feel valued and appreciated like never before. May your blessings pour onto them. And we thank you for their presence in our lives and all that they mean to us. In Jesus' name, amen.